Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, February 9th, 2021, and we are in our study um, on Ecclesiastes. Today we went through chapters 7 and 8. We stayed mainly in chapter 7 because we had some good discussion there. We kind of get to chapter 8, but um, you'll find out how far we got exactly, but we tried to get through as much as we could today. We go about an hour and a half, so it's a long Bible study, and we kind of need that because it's a long, it's it's just, there's just a lot to cover here in Ecclesiastes. If you would like to join us someday, we have Bible study every, every Tuesday um, at 10 a.m., and uh, we will be in Ecclesiastes until we aren't. So if you're in Fredericksburg and you'd like to join us, please come by. We'd love to have you. Um, if you want to watch the Bible study, you go to our YouTube channel, just type in Resurrection Fredericksburg, and it should pop up with our logo. But if you want to find us also, you can watch on our website, uh, which is resurrectionfbg.org. That's resurrectionfbg.org. Now, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the Bible study on Ecclesiastes chapters 7 and 8. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we're getting started here, nice and cozy. Let me check. There's so many things to consider here. Oh my goodness. We are all over the place. I'm all over the place. <laughs> but we are in Ecclesiastes chapters. Uh, 7 and 8. We finished up with um, chapter 6 last week. Hopefully y'all still have the... I think I might have one more if anybody needs one. One more sheet from last week. And hand that to Audrey. Thanks. And that's the first part of chapter 7? Oh, wait, you have... Oh. Yeah, well, we stopped at chapter 6 because this is a, a Bible study from CPH because I figured I needed some help. And... Um, you know, just to kind of break things down, have some questions made, and they're actually pretty good questions mm -hmm. um, that we've had some good discussions on. But what did we talk about last time with uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 6? Just as a brief, like, kind of a segue into chapter 7. I mean, it's not the most uplifting book in the Bible, let's be honest. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the most depressing uh, but what what have what have we covered so far as um, what is I guess this is a good starting question uh, is wisdom well, is wisdom seen as a happy thing I think it is you think so okay I think it is. what is what is it what is it about wisdom that makes it happy because I know things. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. I mean, there's there's this understanding all throughout Ecclesiastes saying, you know, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
All these things are striving after wind. Um, you don't see, you know, he, he says, you know, uh, there's, there's a time for everything, a, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to all these things, um, a time for life, a time for death, this, that, and the other. But he also says things like um, that, what is it? He also says things like everything is vanity and that um, even striving after for all the things that would be pleasurable like he did as, you know, this is Solomon talking, right? So he did all these things. He's planted gardens. He's had servants. He's had lots of wives. He's had, you know, um, treasures and food and drink and all these things. And then he says, but it was all for nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't last, right? And this is wisdom to know these things, but it doesn't sound very happy. I think on the, on the outset, you know, someone will say, well, what's the point of wisdom if I'm just going to be miserable, right? I mean, I think one time um, we talked about how he kind of makes it sound like to be a fool is somewhat desirable because you don't have to struggle against the sorrow that wisdom brings. But then being a fool brings its own troubles because you are, I mean, you're just living your life in a meaningless way and you eventually die and it was all for nothing, right? So it's not very uplifting. It's not very um, fun to think about these things, but uh, um, it's beneficial. Uh, but at the end of chapter 6 there, he says, you know, for who knows what is good for man in life all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? I mean, we know that this is sobering, but it helps us realize that he keeps saying throughout this that everything that we have in life is a gift from God. And that's how we should see this. That everything we have is a gift from God and we give him thanks for these things. Because he asks these rhetorical questions like, um, who can tell a man what will happen after him uh, under the sun? Which means to say that we don't know what's going to happen to us after... I mean, we don't know what's going to happen after we die. right? Something could come along... Whatever riches you've stored up for yourself and left for your kids, your kids could squander them or it could get stolen from them or something like that. Something bad could happen and there's no way that you'll be able to do anything about it because you're dead. <laughs> so it's depressing in some ways, but it also helps us to realize that there is an end to all this and that God is the one who is in control of these things. He is the one who is guiding these things and that we trust in Him that good will come of whatever comes our way, right? I mean, so that's the tough thing about these wisdom, um, books of wisdom, especially Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, because we could talk forever and ever and ever and ever about all the different, um, all the different avenues of wisdom, but we'll just, we'll try and keep it a little concise for the sake of time. Um, we'll go ahead and di dive into chapter 7 here. Uh, let's just read chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Does anybody want to read those for us? Go ahead, David. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to... Honey, take your mask down. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it is better to go to the house of the um, of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance of the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression maketh a, man, a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patience in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger rest, resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Okay. Did you say to 10 or to 14? To 14. Sorry. You're good. Go for it. <laughs> Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Okay. Yeah, this just makes me want to break into, you know, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, right? So uh, it's, it's, it's all good, 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 uplifting stuff, right? Oh, my goodness. So let's, let's take a peek at our... Um, if you still have the uh, the sheets from last time, Ecclesiastes to, up to 7.14. Uh, we'll look at that under discuss, number three. It says the first six verses of chapter seven play on a theme. Sorrow is better than laughter. Uh, look at each verse from that standpoint, and then state why sorrow is better than laughter. Why is a funeral dinner better than a victory celebration? What do y'all think about that? Well, first of all, do you agree? Not here on earth. Not here on earth? Yeah. Here on earth, it doesn't make any difference whether you have wisdom or you're a fool. The end result's going to be the same. <laughs> After you're gone, nobody's going to know, nobody's going to care. And just like, you know, I hate to bring in politics, but Donald Trump worked for four years to fix the swamp. He's out of office, and within a week, 90% of what he did got destroyed by executive order. Yeah. I mean, so it's wiped away. Even though wisdom prevailed, it didn't survive because the fool comes in right after him and destroys it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because, I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing. There's also, in a longer term, you know, you could even say our country in some ways was established with some wisdom. I mean, uh, no government is perfect, but our country was established with some wisdom, and over time, things have been shipped away, and uh, now we're just kind of fighting for the right to speak freely, so, um, and, and for other things as well. Now we're fighting against things like, you know, um, saying that men are men and women are women. Uh, and the big fear of the leaders now, the elite group, is religion. 
because they know that people that believe they can't control. Right, they something higher that. than the government, right? That's right. That's funny. So their goal is to, we're going to destroy religion if we can, and that way we'll control everything. Well, they, they make their own religion. You well, can't, you can't, you can't not have any kind of faith whatsoever. Because yes. even atheists believe something. Um, but that's, that's neither here nor there. The, the thing is, though, so you, so you say that here on earth, it doesn't matter. You can be wise, you can be a fool. Either way, you're going to die. That's not going to matter anyways. That's kind of what Solomon is getting at here in some ways. Uh, and thankfully, he doesn't stay there. It eventually resolves itself at the end. Uh, but we're not there yet. We're in the midst of the mire and the muck right now uh, with, with what he's presenting. But so you say that it doesn't really matter, or at least here on earth, it's, you know, um, well, that a funeral dinner better than a victory celebration. What's the point? What's the difference, this, that, and the other, right? Well, the only, the only benefit to wisdom is that you know that there's going to be an ultimate better end. So even though, no matter how, how hard you strive here on earth, you know, it, sometimes it's going to be good, sometimes it's going to be bad, but it's all going to be destroyed. But you have something down the road. Your wisdom tells you there's something better afterwards. Right, something greater. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, and this, uh, these few verses speak about um, it's better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting and then uh, going to... Uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're not talking about folks just hiking off to every funeral they can attend. <laughs> Although in my congregation, I've done my share of that recently. But uh, uh, it really speaks of those who mourn their sinful condition, mm. that they, uh, they will find comfort in the Word of God. And if you are always have that sense of that type of mournfulness, you will you will find uh, a comfort in Christ. Yeah. Okay. I mean, hopefully, somebody's sharing Christ with you. Mm. Um, I think in a yeah. way, life's well, life's a journey, and mm -hmm. I think you start out as a fool, and you're a fool many times. But you, as you get older, you get a little more wisdom and you get a little more solemn actually because you know that no matter what you do on earth here you know it's 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 foolish to worry about what's going to happen after that because uh, yeah. someone else is worried about it yeah so I, I think we all progress from fool to to wise I would hope so because you know we see here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 4, verse 13, he says, Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. Mm -hmm. So he's basically saying, better to be young and wise and understand what's ahead of you, or at least seeking out that wisdom, than to be old and foolish and haven't learned anything, right? I mean, there are, there are people who are old and foolish. I mean, uh, they may know something that the youth don't know, uh, so in some ways they might be wise, but uh, I mean, I've, I've met plenty of older people who are foolish in the sense of salvation, right? They just, they just don't believe. And they, because they've seen what's come before and they say, well, this world is just so horrible and awful. Why would I ever think that there could be a good God that would be in charge of all this, right? So 
It's a tough thing. It's hard. Um, we hope that people would progress, but some people don't. They, they're stubborn, and they say, no, I don't want to, or um, I'd rather enjoy my foolish pleasures of seeking the, the good things in life as opposed to the good thing that God would have me do. Um, well, the other side is, mm -hmm. are you drawn more to God? Are you strengthened by adversity more than you're strengthened by good times? <clears throat> yeah. I think the tendency for most people, for me certainly, is mm -hmm. to turn to God when things are bad. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, when things are good, you start thinking, "Hey, I'm pretty good at this stuff." Yeah, right. You start thinking more yourself. <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't have anything to push against, right? Yeah. Um, I think last time I mentioned. So that's uh, where it, sorrow comes in, or adversity. Yeah, I, I think last time I mentioned Psalm one twenty three. Where he said, where the psalmist, I think it's David, he says, you know, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt and the scorn of those who are at ease. Not that we hate those people who are at ease, but that we're at ease and we're scornful. We have contempt because we have nothing to fight against, you know. Uh, that there's this strange thing that man needs something to work for. And we don't work for our salvation, but there is a strengthening of our faith in adversity. At least that's what there should be, <laughs> right? There's a sharpening. Yeah. There's a sharpening. Sharpening of the tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Proverbs, uh, um, as iron sharpens iron, yeah. show, so one man sharpens the other. But that means that there's friction. There's hardness right. coming from that. So, mm -hmm. um, But back to this, so why is a funeral dinner better than a victory celebration? One's eternal, one's temporary. <laughs> the funeral celebration's eternal? <laughs> oh, it well, can be. Okay. You're celebrating something eternal. Or victory celebration, you're just celebrating something temporary. Yeah, I think... I, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go with this, but the overarching aspect, I think, to look at is that a person who's filled with sorrow sees things for what they are, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like you said, with mourning, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are, who mourn because of the sinful state of the world, understanding their humble place before God, mm -hmm. saying, Lord, have mercy on us. We are sinful people. And what is it? In days of old, uh, even to like the time of the Reformation and things like, you know, as recent as that was, but that was 500 years ago. But, you know, back then when calamity would fall upon people, they would use that as an opportunity for repentance and to say, Lord, we don't know what we've done to bring this upon ourselves, but it is here. Have mercy on us because you show us how sinful we really are and how fragile our lives are. And the only person we can trust is you to guide us through, mm -hmm. right? So there's, there's that aspect to it. Um, I think, when I was reading this, that death, death is the, uh, the thing that comes for us all, right? At least this side of glory, this side of Christ's return. That um, I was listening to something the other day um, about... And, and I'm trying not to get in too, too much of the weeds here, 
But you know, you've heard of the philosopher Plato, right? Plato, he was going to become a statesman at one point in time. But because of the death of his, uh, his master Socrates, he realized that death was such a serious thing that he devoted his life in a completely different way. Now, they were pagans, and we shouldn't emulate them in that way, but we have to understand that death marks the end of someone's time and shows how time is actually more important than a whole lot of other things, right? I mean, he's talked, throughout, throughout Ecclesiastes, he's talked about pursuing wealth, um, luxury, um, food, drink, all these things that are fleeting. But the one thing that's really fleeting is time. We don't have a whole lot of time here on earth. And, um, you know, the saying, you know, time is money, you know, so you better get busy. Um, time is money is not really the best thing that we should, it's not necessarily a proverb we should meditate upon as Christians, right? Um, that time is <coughs> infinitely more <coughs> finite, right? So use your time wisely, understand what the best pursuits in life are, and for everybody, Christians especially, your best, the best way to use your time is in pursuit of wisdom, which is beginning with the fear of the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. To trust God and to understand who you are before Him, so that you can understand where you are in the grand scheme of things, and not to think too highly of yourself, right? Um, it creates a sense of urgency, I guess. And there's that too. That's very true. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, urgency for all kinds of things. Uh, um, Your soul. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's there's another proverb, right? Get busy living or get busy dying, right? I mean, uh, literally, what, what gives us life is God's Word, you know, and that is also the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, too. So uh, focus on that for sure. Um, but yeah, a victory celebration, it's usually over at some point in time, right? It doesn't last. Mm -hmm. um, it teaches us nothing about life and may encourage us to try to find meaning, meaning in meaningless activities. But a funeral teaches us about the end of life and helps us shape how we deal with the present, right? It gives you that sense of, you know, we got to get things done sooner rather than later, you know, because things might not work out tomorrow the way that you think they do. Yeah. I wanted to, to share a story a number of years ago. There was a, a restaurant that I went to often for a cup of coffee, and there were these, uh, a, a cook there who's probably in his early 30s, a, a restaurant server in her early 20s and they had this conversation and I was right in front of them and they said, uh, you know, the cook said to the server, um, life is just one continuous great big party, isn't it? And mm -hmm. the server said, yeah, I agree, you know, it's, it, 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 life is a big party. And I looked at them both and I said, someday the party will be over. Yeah. And they had this stone-faced <laughs> look on their face like, huh? <laughs> yeah. I think it caught their attention. Oh, yeah. I, I think so. I mean, yeah. Parties well, end. They talk about you after you left, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they still talked to me when I went in the uh, restaurant. They, they didn't have to do the property They didn't. They didn't uh, <laughs> yeah. That old dude. 
That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He tips good, so we better treat him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, no yeah, that's it's true. The party's got to end sometime, right? Um, what about this next part, number four? According to verse 13, what must history lead us to conclude? So verse 13, he says, Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? What he has, and God, yeah, I have a capital H on the Hebrew. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm glad when they do that in Bibles. Yeah, me too. So how has he made crooked? Can you maybe... Elaborate on that. What's that now? How has he made crooked? <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, how can... How does um, God make crooked? It's just an interesting thought. Yep. What do y'all think? I was waiting for the answer. I haven't written anything there. <laughs> it's anybody? It's heavy, isn't it? It's what happened. That gets you to predestination. <laughs> is, is him making crooked maybe allowing a situation to be a mess so that we turn to him hmm. well my my bible has a reference here to job twelve fourteen, right mine does at least and, and job twelve fourteen, just so you don't have to go there says um well, first of all, who's speaking in this part of Job? Job is speaking here. Uh, if he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. Who's he? God. God. So what God does is permanent? Well, I think what's important to know here is that God does all things. He sends good times and bad. Right? Uh, I think when this whole pandemic thing first started... Someone said, you know, I know this is all the work of the devil. It's all the work of the devil. And I was like, ooh, take it easy. We don't want to give the devil too much credit. Okay? There's a, there's a, a thing that I've heard uh, a while back that I, I remember um, that struck me really hard, and, and I always remember it, that the devil is God's devil. What do you all think about that phrase? It's in with Job, I guess. Yeah, the devil is God's devil. You're, me you're meaning because he's constantly attacking. What I mean is that you know, creator. in Revelation it talks about Satan being on a leash, basically, mm -hmm. right? That he only has a certain realm in which he can work. Oh, you're talking because you God hinders so him. You're talking control. I'm he talking only... pestering. Oh. In I think there's room for both. Sure, but it's but it's that it. it's that it's that Satan only has a limited capacity to do so many things. He cannot do things without God's allowance in some ways, right? But he can only go so far. In fact, he can't go so far that he can snatch you away from God's hand. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what Jesus promises us. That he can never snatch us away, but he can kind of coax us. He can entice us to come out. I think that's more the common. Yeah. Right. So, so what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that God does all things. He allows certain things to happen. Um, he does send good times and bad times, which is why I said that Christians in former times, whenever a plague would come upon them, they would say, "Oh Lord, 
we don't know what we've done, but forgive us and have mercy on us, because surely this is because of our sinfulness, right? In something that we've done, we're not going to say, you know, oh, it was Tom over there, he's the one that did it, let's string him up because it's all his fault. But we're saying, we're saying Lord, we as, a, we as a people have sinned in some ways, have mercy upon us, for you are the one who has brought this upon us, and you are the only one who can take it away, right? Um, and like I said, if we say that all these things are the working of Satan only, we're giving Satan too much power and too much credit, um, which is a scary thing to do to say that God has some sort of hand in these things. Um, it doesn't always make sense in our minds, right? Mm -hmm. What do you all think about that? Well, what about the pandemic? Sure. Let's, let's, let's get it kind of in our own uh, particular situation. Yeah. I, I remember, and I use this as a newsletter article, about how Lincoln declared a national day of repentance and fasting for, it was April 30th of 1864. It's like, why has this calamity of this war, mm. which was supposed to be over within a few weeks, and now it's dragged on for several years, why has it come about us? How have we, uh, how have we turned away from God's ways? And can you imagine a president of the United States Nowadays. Saying something like that as as an official act, yeah, yeah, it's almost you know, over over what we're going through now. Yeah. Well, and you know, for the unbeliever, it's definitely an opportunity for repentance. Sure. Oh yeah. Comes. And for the believer, it is a unique opportunity when hardship does strike to rely even more on Christ, mm -hmm. or to show that faith to others. I mean, mm -hmm. there's been plenty of times in my life where things have been bad and being able to look back on them not a lot of years later but I'm getting far enough away from it where I can kind of see the the good that it brought about either for me or those around me. Mm. Yeah. Well, getting back to your earlier statement about the devil, mm -hmm. God created the devil. Yeah. The devil yeah. rebelled. And That's right. And so just like man, God created man and man rebelled. Mm -hmm because of the devil. Right. And so God can allow the devil to do what ill he wants to do, or he can stop it, or he can destroy the devil. He will someday. And he will. Yeah. And yeah. In time, the On devil will go day, away. The lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Yep. Yeah, so it's this hard thing um, to say sometimes that, well, you know, it, it at least keeps us humble. Right? It at least keeps us humble to say, Lord, you are really in control. That we don't know what's going to happen. We trust in you and your goodwill for your people, especially to know that even if you know, death comes to your believers for one thing or another, that we trust that you will deliver them into, you know, into paradise. And that's something I think that Luther would say, to, you know, because in Luther's time they had problems with the Muslims and because they were invading, um, they were trying to invade Vienna, Austria, and uh, the Turks were at the gate, as it were, and Luther is famously saying, you know, let the Turk take my head, for I have a God who will give me another one. <laughs> you know? Um, let him come. Let him bring it on. Because you are not bigger than the Lord God. Right? It sounds like he was drinking his own beer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think 
the 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 implication is that we should revere God and say, Lord, you you know what is right and you know what is true and good, and ultimately it is in your hands, right? Um, Pastor. Yeah. Um, I I often think about this, and it doesn't. I think this is one of the hardest things. Well, for me is when we're struggling, when we're going through torturous to us, you know, it's all relative. Yeah. Um, and I think about, is it Psalm 51, when we, the create in me a clean mm -hmm. heart? Right. When we're asking him to do that, mm -hmm. um, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so if we're asking that, and I, it's hard for me to remember sometimes that he allows I'm talking just about me right now, but it could, it could apply. I hope it does. Okay. He wants me to not just revere and praise him. Yes, that's first. But to get closer and be willing to keep asking him to create a clean heart. Because there's so many things that are involved when he does that for us. I think it... I think it's you. I think it's you. So, sure. I mean, that is, in itself is a huge I blessing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. They're a blessing, but it's, it, it takes the faith from the Holy Spirit to even want to ask that. That's right. And then go back for more. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, it, yeah. everything is, is completely tied together in God. Yeah. Because of the harmony of it and why he's doing it. Yeah, and it reminds me, you know, uh, there's this theme throughout Scripture, but I think it's seen very clearly in Exodus and the wandering of God's people in the wilderness. That uh, and, and it's something that was pointed out in Grace Upon Grace by Dr. Kleinig, where he said it's, it's interesting that when God puts himself in the cloud... And the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, that he's in the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. But the thing is, is that you have to go through darkness to get to him, right? That in the cloud, you cannot see him, but you can hear him. But there's darkness swirling all around you, right? Um, and that... Uh, there's this paradoxical thing where we want to think that the closer we get to God, the better it's going to be the way that we want it to be. That's it. But it's, the be but it's better the way that He wants it to be, meaning that we have to rely more and more on Him and less upon ourselves. That we have to rely more, upon, more and more upon Him and what He's telling us, because the only way we're going to get through it is by hearing Him, because we can't see anything, it's so dark. You see what I mean? <laughs> So that's that's something to keep in mind. It's it's this neat exercise in, in um, discipleship, I would say. To say that the closer we get to God, the darker it's going to be. Because the closer you get to God also, the closer you get to the cross. Hmm. The closer you get to Golgotha, where God died for you. The, God the Son died for you. So... Um, that in itself, though, brings about tremendous joys in the midst of sorrow. And it really can. Yeah. It, it really can, but it, it's so very it, difficult Yeah. to just 
let it fly. I can. I had really great plans for how I wanted to get where I was going. But, uh, yeah. This was but, better. But you know, but you know, it's 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 funny though because then it makes us think about. It makes us reevaluate. Absolutely. It makes us reevaluate what really does joy mean. What is really the meaning of joy? Because it's not just happiness, right? Because joy can exist in the midst of sorrow. That's big. Right? It's a big point for us. So something to keep in mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's let let let's keep on plugging away here. Let's go down to the apply section. Number six. And this really caught my caught caught me when I read it. Uh, it's it's pulling on verse on chapter seven, verse ten, right? And let's just say do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. And the question is, have you ever yearned for the good old days? <laughs> Evaluate that yearning in the light of verse 10. Hmm. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, what, what was your attitude about everything that was happening at that time? And what was the cause that you mm. thought it was so great? Yeah. That's what it, I mean, that's what it says. Or what's going on in your life right now that makes you look back on that thinking that it was so good? Because you were young and foolish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. That's for sure. I mean, we... It just summed it up well. I mean, you, you kind of, what is it? Nostalgia. Yeah, right? it's a Nos Nostalgia, what is, I think, I think it's like... Um, it's Italian. What is, what is... <laughs> it is. It's what is it? Word. What does it mean, though? What is the etymology of that word? Oh, you know? I know that word. Yeah. Nostalgia. Mm. I think I think someone said to me one time. It was um, he said, um, "I hate the word nostalgia." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because it means like happy suffering." Happy suffering. And I was like, "What? Happy suffering? What do you mean by that?" He said, That's yeah, so just, yeah. I'll reach you for our phones, Google. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it basically means like, you know, sweet suffering or something like that. That makes sense. Uh, because you look back. Algia, pain. Algia, okay, yeah. yeah. So, the thing and, about it, though, it's, real, it's not, look what we do when we remember gay. I, rem I remember a lot of really cool things. And that is gracious, because I don't, my sister could remember everything. But I didn't have that, you know, it looked more rosy to me because, and it wasn't the truth of what it was. No. Yeah. And now that I'm older, I try not to, to fool myself, I guess. The, the present is, is a blessing. Um, you can look on my cheat sheet. No, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't trust his answers. <laughs> that was a dismissal. Oh, we're about to move on to the next to the next sheet. But I thought that that was just really interesting, right? Solomon directly says, "Do not say why were um, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. If you start looking more in the past to find your joy and your happiness." Your nostalgia can, it clouds your understanding and can hinder your quest for wisdom. Oh boy. You are adamantly pushing against what God is currently giving you in a way that you shouldn't, is basically what he's saying. He's saying that 
what God has given you, he's given you to suffer and to bear your cross, as it were, in the way that he would have you do it. And you are, you are um, battling against it in a way that he doesn't want you to because you're going back to the old ways, um, putting a spin on it, thinking that they were better than what they really were. Ah. Right? Oh, well. You're, you're not thinking clearly. Because even though you have good memories about what was before, they're still bad. <laughs> they're still bad mixed in with it. Yeah. That you're not that that you're willfully ignoring. Right. Oh well. So much for the oldie stations. Right. <laughs> I mean, no. You like I think fondly about my childhood and things like that, but. Um, uh, I guess it's it's really weird though, and this is a, this is a generational thing, of course. But I know that when I was I was born um, in '86, and you know, so yes, I'm still young. But I was a freshman in high school when 9/11 happened. Right? So I remember going to school that day, listening to uh, the radio, and 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 hearing people say, you know, the the first reports about the planes hitting uh, the towers. And then all day long was full of us watching the news and seeing what was happening and just thinking, what is going on and how did this happen and why did this happen, right? And then the years progressed and, and the older I got and the more I learned from Scripture, the more I learned to look back and say, you know, it's a tragedy. But I don't know if we should necessarily have been super surprised at that at the capability of evil men, right? That that they were capable of doing who could be capable of doing such things? Well, someone who's extremely wicked. You know, someone who was bought into such a lie that they would just go and kill thousands of people um, for something they thought would be good. I mean that that is that is sin right there, and what it can do to a heart. And when you understand God's word and the nature of man, you look and you say, this is a tragedy, but you know what? I'm not really surprised. And maybe that makes me a bit cynical, um, but if I didn't have the, the, the joy that comes from God's word in terms of the salvation that it conveys, then I would severely despair, like many people in my generation do. Right? They look at the world around them and they say, what hope is there? I have all this debt. I have no job prospects. I don't own a home. I don't have a family. I have nothing to live for. Why should I even live in the first place? Right? That's where a lot of people my age are. And it's very sad. Uh, they don't have the counterbalance of hope that comes from Christ. Um, and, uh, it, it, and you know what? Knowing that doesn't make me happier. <laughs> That's exactly what Solomon is getting at here. Knowing that doesn't make things necessarily happy. Uh, and in fact, it, seem, it, can make, it can make you think, well, what's the point? Right? Ecclesiastes draws this out of you, for sure. Um, so, um, and I feel bad for... Well, you know what? I feel bad somewhat for, for kids today because if they were born after 9-11 in the midst of whatever turmoil, whatever, they look back, they are super cynical. I think the, the generation, what, Z? Gen Z. 
the Zoomers, as they the say. The Zoomers are very pessimistic, from what I understand. They're very cynical, um, but at the same time, that means that they are possibly ripe for reaching out to, because they need something to hold on to, because what they grew up in is not necessarily optimistic. So they have to hold on to something that could be coming down the road. And if we don't give it to them as Christians, I don't know who will. In fact, nobody will. Mm. Let's be honest. Yeah. I'm thinking of um, being uh, what the Bible says and about going back. And it says, look what God did with Moses. Look what he did at the Red Sea. Look what he did. If we turn that nostalgia back to what God has done okay. uh, for others and for us, yeah. that, that's where the joy and hope can come. We can't get it from within ourselves. That's right. It has to come from what He has done and given. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I go Psalm fifty-one, uh, created in me, and you, uh, verse eleven says, uh, "Cast me not away from Thy presence, and mm -hmm. take not Thy hold." You can feel like He's doing it, but then you go to the next verse that says, "Restore to me the joy of Thy salvation." What is that? The cross. He restores salvation as I focus on the cross. That, those three verses have been so important to me in all that I'm going through right now, mm -hmm. and I can get very upset and, and even blaming God. Cast me not away, why did you? Yeah. Yeah. But the next verse says, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And I, there are times when I wonder, what is joy? Right. I can't touch it. Right. I can't hand it to you. Nobody can hand it to me. Right. But it comes when we focus on what He has done for us. Right. Yeah. Maybe looking back in a nostalgic way, not that, not as Solomon is warning against, right? Saying, um, why were the former days better than these? But Lord, how did you sustain me in those former days to get me to where I am now? Mm -hmm. And how is that connected to where up to where you want me to go from here? Right? That's very good. I like that. Um, well, yeah. It depends on what you do with the information from the former days. Yeah. You know, like he says in verse ten about the inheritance. You know, inheritance can be either money or wisdom. It depends on what you do with it, is whether you're going to hold on to it or not. Right. And that's wisdom, right? right? That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction from Proverbs, right? That depends on how you look back on these things. The fear of the Lord, remember last time we talked about the, difference, the different kinds of fear there are, the servile fear and the filial fear. Um, we ought to have that, that the servile fear on some level, because we are sinners, saying, Lord, have mercy upon me for the sins that I've committed. But then on the other side, Lord, have mercy on me because I want to be more like you. The fear of the Lord that says, Lord, you are good and I want to be good. You are 
you know, perfect and I'm called to be perfect. Help me to be like that. Create in me a clean heart. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Right? So yeah, uh, what you do with these things matters. Um, good stuff. Uh, let's, let's, let's keep on moving because we're running out of time. We'll go to the next one, which is Ecclesiastes, uh, the, the sheet that says Ecclesiastes 17 through 29. Sorry, Ecclesiastes 7, 15 through 29. Um, anyone, want to, anybody want to read verses 15 through 29? I'll together? take it. I have seen all things in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this, and also not remove your hand from the other. For he who fears God will escape them all. Wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. All this I have proven by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find it? I applied my heart to know and search and seek out wisdom and, and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and, uh, and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Truly, this only I have found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Okay. Mm. So you'll see here that on, 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 on your sheet there's a bigger section of the look. You have look, discuss, and apply. This big section of look here, uh, which is good because there's a lot of things to consider in this passage. Um, some things that, I, I don't know, we can go off on a tangent if you want to, but uh, I'll try to keep it on the straight and narrow here. Uh, verses 16 and 17, uh, overly righteous, too wise, overly wicked, a fool. There are two extremes we want to avoid. To be overly righteous and too wise means to think we are more righteous and wiser than others. To try to force our wisdom and righteousness on them, perhaps in a legalistic way, we will incur resentment and hostility. Acting like a wicked fool is also to be avoided, for that may bring um, an early end to our lives. The middle course is this. Be humble in all things. Use your wisdom to help others and acknowledge your own sinful weaknesses. Verses 19 and 20 speak of the value of wisdom and the need for humility. Um, verse 26 
The woman whose heart is snares and nets, this too is meaningless. That is, a man trapped by an adulterous woman and suffering the consequences. See Proverbs 6, 20-35 for a complete explanation of this verse. Because uh, he talks about the woman folly, right? Um, go ahead. Um, he talks about, you know, he contrasts these... Um, these embodiments of foolishness and wisdom, and they're both women, which is interesting, right? Um, that uh, this is possibly talking about the foolish woman that can, can snare men and they fall by the wayside because of them, right? Um, and then verse 28 uh, just says man and woman. It says, this is a difficult section to understand. Solomon makes a distinction between men as a whole and women as a whole. In general, Solomon sees that all are alike, but among men he found a, a handful who displayed a certain characteristic that no woman did. What was the, that characteristic? The word upright is found in verse 29. But this may be misleading. Think of women like Ruth, who was praised as an upright woman, or Deborah, who was a very wise woman and was sought out by men and women alike. All we can say is that Solomon sees some distinction, but it is difficult for us to determine precisely what it is. So, that's the tangent I was talking about, <laughs> you know. Okay. So it's it's. Basically um, said, don't talk about these verses with your wife. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> well, I have no choice. I feel the kettle, <laughs> the kettle heating up here. Yeah, I know, right? Well, it's 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 interesting because this is all Solomon speaking here, right? So, but well, then is, again, is he shifting a little blame here? Well, think about it. Why wasn't he strong enough? Neither was Adam. Well, how? Maybe. Woman. How? How? How many wives did he have? Too many. Two hundred concubines or something. Yeah, but how many like actual wives? It was like seventy wives. You know? So no wonder he's jaded. All right. I mean, to be honest with you, let's be honest here. So they caught him, or. What's that? I'm being, I'm being just a it could have been. It, it could have been. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't know who he's casting blame on. I don't Probably know what point of all this yeah. is. Yeah. But the thing is, is that um, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine that all of his marriages were happy. You know. <laughs> uh, it, it, I mean, consider the regular stresses that marriage brings upon, and times that by seventy. You know what? Right. I'm gonna hold to this thought until I see otherwise. Or understand otherwise. Um, I think he's not so much throwing this on them, yes, but I, I think he's struggling because he sees I should have not been making these choices, not allowing them, and they were crummy and led me off. But, you know, it's a little bit of deflecting, I think, while he's struggling to let God, have God search him and change him. I mean, he, he's like on this, this, not a rampage, but this real introspective thing that God's making him do that's painful. And he, I think he keeps reaching to get himself a little cleaned up. Well, you know what I think is happening here? And, and I think that this is, I think, honestly, I think that their explanation here is a little lazy. Because they're just saying, well, who knows what he thinks, and we'll just move on from here. And, and, and I, I, I looked up a few commentaries to see what they thought, and they were kind of lazy, too. Uh, to be honest with you, they were, they were a little lazy in their explanation. They, they kind of went off on another, on another tangent. Really? Uh, yeah, and I was just like, why don't, why don't you just address what he's talking about? Even if we don't have the answer, let's... Right, let's talk in. about it. Because 
the, what I think is, and of course I haven't looked deeply into this, but I mean, let's, let's say this, right? He had 200-something concubines, he had uh, 70 wives, possibly for mostly political purposes, right? And he says, of all these things, what he said, um, adding one thing to the other, blah, 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 he says, one man among a thousand I have found, this being upright or wise, or whatever you want to call it. But the thing is, is that I think he probably thinks to himself, all these men out here, these thousands of men, look to me thinking, man, Solomon's got it made. Because he's got all those women around him, and he, and he has all these pleasures. You know what? Me being Solomon, I know that this is hard. And all the pursuits that I did before, in terms of having all these wives, these concubines, these servants, all these things, I know that it's foolish, and I know that it's harder than any of these other fools think that it is. And he said, but then, you know, knowing that, maybe he's seeing hindsight being what it is, saying, I made a mistake in doing these things, right? And because of that, maybe I'm a little more wiser. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm, I'm a little more, uh, I should have been more discerning in my pursuit of a godly wife, right? Yeah. Um, because that would have been much more beneficial than having all these other splits of attention, right? And all these other stresses pulling at me when it wasn't really necessary. You know, well, he said, this is not a woman I have found. Well, maybe he was drinking in the wrong bar. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe. And that's the other thing. You can take that into context saying Solomon hasn't found her. Yeah. Right? Well, you go to Proverbs 31, and, uh, you know, I believe it's that section about the godly wife. Yeah. was written by King Hezekiah, if I remember right. Okay. I've, I've, I've heard it attributed to him. Uh-huh. So, uh, so that seems like, you know, Solomon wasn't quite uh, picking up on that one. Yeah, and, and then, you know, being, being as the, uh, the church on this end of uh, the revelation of Christ, I, I always enjoyed the explanation, you know, Proverbs 31, that women... There's a lot of evangelicals who'll say, women, look to this and be like her. And it's like, how? It's almost impossible to be perfectly like this Proverbs 31 woman. But when you look at that and you look at Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, if you look at it within the realm that this is the church and the bride is the, bride is the church and the bridegroom is Christ, right? That he is the one that makes her beautiful. That he is the one who changes her to be the blushing bride that she ought to be, right? Um, that many times in the Old Testament, the people of God are called uh, adulterous, right? Because their husband, as it were, should have been God. But they ran off with other gods and were whoring off with other gods. I mean, that's what it says, right? So there's this intimate relationship between God and his people, but God is the one who makes the bride beautiful, right? Christ is the one who makes her worthy uh, by laying down his life for her, right? So maybe that's what Solomon's missing. Well, maybe. I think you can read these verses over that first reading, 23, 24, 25. Right, 20, yeah. 23, all these things I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far but from it was me. Far from <laughs> As for which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find out? Right. Then he says, he, then he says in the rest of 25, he was foolish. Which right. Foolish. And I think that's... Oh, well, these are examples. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that's some... 
That's a very, it's, it's so strange, right? It's a wise thing to say, what a fool I am. Because you understand things for what they are, right? And I've said before, in some sense, you know, Socrates, you know, if you know about the story about Socrates, that um, someone went to the Oracle of Delphi and said, um, who is the wisest man in all of the world? And they said, Socrates, because he said, you know, I know that I know nothing, right? So at least he knew that. <laughs> but that's not enough. Well, hindsight's right? 20, 20 And there's that too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, to say how foolish I was. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say I was yeah. foolish five years ago. <laughs> Pretty hard to say you're foolish five minutes ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> perspective Or this present comment is foolish, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Perspective helps with these things, for sure. So he's looking at himself, you know, years ago. Yeah. And then, so let's move on, though, to uh, the discuss portion. So... Number one, what aspect of meaninglessness does Solomon speak about in verse 15? So verse, verse 15 says, I have seen everything in my, in, in my days of vanity. There is, a man, there is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. So what aspect of meaningless is he speaking about here? Hmm. Well, it says to me, your life expectancy. Righteous, righteous. A wicked man can live to the ripe old age of 100, and a just man can live to 20. Right. So he's looking... Early. Only the good die young, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sam, were you going to say? Oh, I, he's speaking in a purely earthly, temporal. No? Okay. No, yeah. I mean, sure. What do you mean by that, earthly and temporal? Well, don't we look around and fight that... No. How come, how come we're buying used tires and, and they can, do you know what? They know got what a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of the, 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 the thing that Job went through with his friends, right? That this calamity fell upon Job and they said, well, surely you did something wrong, right? Because no, because the wicked do not prosper. That's, 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 that's why you have to be really careful quoting the book of Job. Because you have to depend on who is saying what. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, that's right. And at what point Job is lashing out about something, right? Uh, so quoting Job is always a risky venture. Um, but the thing is, is that Job's friends are foolish because they think that only the good, like they're prosperity gospel preachers, right? Yeah. They are. They're all about the prosperity gospel saying, you know, well, if you follow God and you're upright, then only good things will happen to you. So because this bad thing happened, surely you did something. And you need to repent of that something before anything good can happen. It's like, whoa. That sounds actually what, like what Roman Catholics do, too. Right? And Joel Osteen. Yeah, it's kind of funny how they kind of meet and... They meet in the back door in some ways, you know. It's, yeah. it's like they're both reaching the same ends to some degree. Um, but in verse 15, he's saying, you know, we like to think that the good people will always triumph, that, um, that uh, 
the wicked in this world, in the temporal sense, will always be defeated. Uh, we would like to think that the righteous live long and prosper. It's funny I saw that because I thought of Star Trek. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, as a, as a slight tangent, do you know how how um, Leonard Nimoy came up with this? Do you? Yes. Okay. You know how he came up with that? He was playing with Superglue. No. So, <laughs> super blue. so Leonard Nimoy was raised as an Orthodox Jew, right? And um, in, 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 in his particular sect of Judaism, uh, when, the, when the rabbi would give the benediction, no one could look at him. Every, everyone had to have their heads down because they, it was a sign of humility and to receive the blessing of the Lord God was a humble thing to do. But him as a kid, he was a little stinker and he looked up and he saw that the rabbi was doing this. He saw the rabbi was doing, you know, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, right? He was doing this, and there's a professor at the seminary who, when he does it, everyone calls it the Vulcan benediction because he does this. You know? <laughs> and, and it's some do it? Huh? I think, I think, and if anybody wants to, if anybody watching or listening wants to correct me on this, I think the the ironic benediction, not the ironic benediction, the ironic <laughs> benediction, is trinitarian in its formula. If right. you look at oh, it, oh yeah, right? absolutely. So there's the aspect of you know, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Oh, oh. I think that's what it is, but I'm not. I'm not sure. So I'm. I, I'm you that's, make it what it is. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> but you that's know, I, that's I kind it. of thing, right? So that's that's why he started to do no, live I long and prosper. Right? Take um, right? but, but from verse fifteen back back to it, so we can get through it, right? Uh, back to Ecclesiastes, out of uh, boldly going where no man has gone before. Um, we are back here on verse fifteen, uh, and and so we think that the righteous will live long and prosper. And the wicked meet an untimely end, but neither is always true. Right? Uh, this huh? seldom, if you really, really look closely, right? Uh, this adds to the meaningless nature of life, or the seemingly meaningless nature. Uh, that well, what's the point of being good if they just die off real quick, right? What's the point of being the hero when, in reality, if you charge into a mob of, uh, of angry people that are doing horrible things and you're trying to go stop them by yourself, you're just going to get struck down. So what's the point of being good? Right? Well, That's what some people think. The righteous knows what, the righteous know what's coming. The righteous also know that there are certain hills you don't want to die on. Right? Okay. I mean, St. Paul didn't go into every battle that he could. Mm. Right? Uh, we, we heard from this last Sunday that there were times where he evaded capture. Because he knew that they were going to get him and they were going to kill him. Yeah, but we can't... I think that you're right a lot. By, you know, the majority of it. Because we look for reasons. Not reasons. to jump into the, the fracas. That's true. Yeah. And we look for excuses not yeah. to, right? Okay, Lord, give me wisdom. Is this a, just a minor fracas I can go handle or... Or is this the right. is it, is this something... Am I ready to meet you and looking forward to it? I and sometimes, sometimes we can't... 
Luther also said, you can't choose the cross that is given to you, right? Sometimes the cross that is thrust upon you, you have to carry. You can't just say, you know, oh, you know, um, you, can't, you can't do this, this, this strange thing that I'm sure that some people might do in their heads, saying, you know, I'm going to go get involved here because to suffer for Christ in oh. this way is going to be laudable and beneficial or whatever, you know, like they're seeking to be a martyr in some way. Yeah, so, the devil's martyrs, he called them. Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The devil's martyrs. So you can't always pick your battles. You sometimes have to fight the fights that are in your lap. Um, but you have, but but you also know that in the end, God is the one who is victorious. That in the end, though you may die because of your faith, that Christ has defeated death, and death cannot hold power over you anymore, because the power of death is the power of Satan. Right? Satan uses the power of, the, of, of death to say, you know, you should despair. Or you should, you know, um, you should not trust in God, but trust in yourself. Right? That was something along those lines. However he wants to manipulate you. Um, so yeah, that it, if you look at things just... And remember, Ecclesiastes is all about looking at things that are under the sun. This is apart from yeah. faith. Yeah. Right? This is all just looking at the world around you saying... Apart from faith and what I'm seeing around me, things do not look good, right? Um, and so you can think, well, what's the point, right? Uh, what about number two? Why do you think Solomon despaired of ever becoming wise? Verse 23. And then set out to understand and search out wisdom. Verse 25. Kind of like what you were talking about, Jim. Why do you think he despaired and then set out to understand wisdom anyway? Well, he kept hitting his head against the wall, it seems. Yeah. Well, he realized that wisdom is not omniscient. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. Wisdom is not our mission. No. Omniscient. All knowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is what is the beginning of knowledge? I've said it already. Yeah. The fear of the Lord. Don't know anything. Right. <laughs> the fear of the Lord, fearing and trusting, respecting him that he knows what he's doing, that he has set things in motion according to his purpose and will. Um, and yet, even though you know these things, it does not keep you from pursuing wisdom, because God can be pursued, right? That he only gives us a certain amount to understand at a certain time and place and situation and circumstance, but... Um, what we gain from him, even wisdom, is from him. We shouldn't say, oh, look how wise and how smart I am. I figured this out all on my, all on my own. Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, God has placed me into this circumstance and this situation just to learn these things, right? To figure out by his guidance and his word, hey, this is the way it should be seen, right? Um, any thoughts about those, verse 23 and 25? And somebody's calling me, and I'm not going to answer it. Okay, so apply. Apply verses 21 and 22 to your life as a father or mother, as a classroom teacher, as a boss at work, as a policeman, and so on. So 21 and 22. Also, do not take heart, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. 
For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Um, I mean, this is just this is just a good bit of wisdom, right? Yeah, don't rule emotionally. <laughs> rule logically. Yeah. As a classroom teacher, boss at work, policeman, or pastor, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, says something to me. What? Well, well, about, about forgiveness. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's forgiveness, that, and there's also prayer, right? That um, pastors. Well, it's 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 a problem for Christians in general, but for pastors especially. And and, and this this was really eye eye opening for me when I heard this, uh, that that someone said. What was the worst, what was the most prominent way people sinned against Jesus? What was the most common way that people sinned against him, I guess I should say? The thing that happened all the time that we know of from Scripture. Hmm. They slandered him. Talk about that. Yeah. They slandered him. They grumbled against him. They spoke badly about him behind his back, and even to his face. They slandered him. They mocked him. Right? Why should you expect anything less? And it's not that we should just say, oh, well, c'est la vie, such is life, but to say, Lord, strengthen me in the midst of this. Right? Because it doesn't feel good to have someone talk about you behind your back. No. Um, that's why we have the Eighth Commandment. Someone's character and name is important. Right? We shouldn't slander people. We should speak charitably of them and explain everything in the kindest way. Right? Yeah, but the interesting thing about life is that the, quote, believers are the ones that slander mm. other believers, where the unbelievers, they typically wonder why someone is the way they are and admire that they can deal with adversity and what have you without getting all upset and going to pieces. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, that's that's a possibility. I don't I don't know if that's a hard and fast rule across the board, but um, I I just know that everybody in Christians especially struggle with their speech. Hmm. Uh, James talks about that a lot in his epistle, um, controlling your tongue, but. I mean, it's just that we, we shouldn't expect anything less, but we also shouldn't jump on every bit of hearsay and allow that to rule us in a way that would cause us to become angry, the point of wrath, right? But find that also as an opportunity to pull back and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on them. Um, pray for them, right? Jesus says, Pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, the devil wants you to. He wants, he wants you to you hate to them. Divide. He wants you to hate them. Yeah, right. he wants you to be angry with them. Yep. Um, and also, what the proverbs are? Uh, yeah, it says, uh, "Be angry and do not sin." <laughs> so, don't give in. Um, let's let's move on to chapter eight real quick here. Chapter eight is pretty short. I'll go ahead and read chapter eight, and we'll kind of touch on a few of these things and um, see what y'all think. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 reads, Who is like a wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. 
I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. For he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. And no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man, uh, one man rules over another to his own hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an, an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So I commended enjoyment, because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to seek the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. So more bright rays of sunshine from Solomon here. Um, so, Solomon repeatedly points to the meaninglessness of wisdom. Both the wise and foolish perish, yet he also points out that wisdom enables a person to enjoy life and, avo and avoid problems. In this verse, he contrasts the hard appearance, in this verse 1, contrasts the hard appearance of the person who lacks wisdom with the joy reflected off the face of the person who has wisdom. There's an internal peace that comes from wisdom, as it were. Right? Um, we'll move through some of these real quick. Um, I really wanted to point out... Uh, let me see. There's, there's oppression. It kind of touches on what we talked about already. Um, aspects of meaningless in verses 9 and 10. But I think verses 12 through 14... 12 through 14, that number three under discuss, they seem to contain a contradiction. What is the contradiction and how is it solved? So verses 12 through 14, is there a contradiction there? 
I know there's kind of a lot to get through in chapter 8, but... Yeah, 12 says a wicked man will live a long time, and then 13 said a wicked man will have their days shortened, mm -hmm. or their days will not be lengthened. Right. Um... So that there's some things that, you know, he says that in some cases there will be, um, see, it says here that, as a contrast to the other way, it says that it will go better for the righteous man for, than for the wicked man, right? Um, just, no, just, I'm just have my hand up, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, no. <laughs> I just want to make sure I don't miss anybody who wants to say something. It doesn't say, it doesn't say that the right man or the good man is going to live long. Right. It just says that. Yeah, he says that life will go better for the righteous man than for the wicked man, but then he also says that he's often seen the righteous man getting what the wicked deserves, right? Um, Solomon confesses that God will judge the wicked even in this life. I mean, that is that, that does happen. There is consequence for sin. Um, you know, you, you break into someone's house... Um, especially in Texas, you might get shot, right? Probably. For sure. Probably. I mean, depending on how good of a name they are. Uh, but you're gonna, you're, you're, you're taking your life into your hands in some ways when you commit folly, when you commit a crime, you break the law. Or mess around with somebody else's wife. That's even worse. There's that too. Yeah, messing around with someone else's spouse. Um, we could be talking about too that the, perhaps the righteous are a little more at peace with themselves than the wicked. Everyone's got conscience. I don't know about that. What's that? I don't know about that. About what? About conscience. the righteous being more at peace with themselves. <laughs> well, I, I guess there's probably in the right... I guess here's here's the thing, and maybe this is what he's getting at. He does... It's kind of alluded to... Or maybe not on the run. Yeah, right. There you so, go. so, yeah, the righteous... <laughs> the righteous... Um, look over their shoulder all the time. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess what you can see is that the righteous probably has more of an internal struggle going on, and the fool has more of an outward struggle. A physical struggle. Yeah, it's, it's more out in the open that he's, he's um, struggling against um, external realities as opposed to within himself. You know, the righteous man hopefully would, would heed the words of be still and know that I am God and not rush into any foolish endeavor that he could. Um... But he also has in mind the end of things. I mean, the wicked only brings ruin on himself. I mean, though he may live, and this is all within the context of what he's already said, that though he may live a long life and he may have lots of riches, lots of property, all the stuff like that, eventually he's going to die. And if all of his trust was put into his riches and his wealth, then his trust is in vain. And God does not look kindly on that. And there will be a judgment. So in the end, it will be bad, right? It's just a shadow. So. It's just, a, yeah, they're just it's passing temporal. here. It's all temporal. That's right. So we're out of time, um, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on these things next time. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll finish up in Chapter 8 and move on from there. Uh, good discussion, though. Um, good insight from you all.
appreciate it. Um, and yeah, next time we'll, I'll be a little bit more on the move. We might move into the sanctuary, depending on how many folks show up. But it's good to see a lot of people here. Real encouraging. I know we got two from out of town, but oh well. Uh, uh, you know what? <laughs> we'll be back one of these days. That's right. Next week we may have four from out of town. Oh yeah. May not be able to travel. Winter Texans are starting to come now. Okay. That's oh, right. those ghost people. There you go. Well, we'll look forward to it then. Well, how about let's just uh, let's call it a day. The weather report this week. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, we missed that. Yeah, in Ohio. <laughs> All right. Well, before we start chatting it up, which is always a good thing. Let's let's uh, let's close with the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.